Yeah. Oh, hold on. Got to go live with the uh, thing on the side. Welcome to the sesh. Welcome. Indeed. Welcome. It's a Sunday sesh today, so a special Sunday edition. Yeah, it's a Sunday sesh. Indeed. Yeah, and how is your Sunday, Mole? A nice lazy day. I concur. Yeah, I've taken the same approach as I have a busy week coming up. So, uh, yeah, sort of soulful reflection at home this morning. It's been good. Yeah. Trying to take a little bit of time out resting. Uh, There's been quite a schedule happening for me lately. There's the release of a new album, uh, some music videos, um, some promotion uh, around that. Um, Not to mention our wonderful podcast. Uh, So, yeah, actually... uh, that a couple of eps back, I spoke about not getting out of bed because it was too cold. I ended up opting for a sunset filming instead of a sunrise filming for this uh, film clip, and it came together not too shab. Um, yeah, haven't really done a lot with regards to marketing it yet, but so it's still kind of kind of brand new. Um, it's only got a couple of hundred views, I think, uh, on YouTube at the moment. But I'm gonna, I'm so proud as punch of it, man. I'm gonna share it with you. What do you reckon? Sounds like fun. Alright, well. I'll bring this I'll shut this here. down while we watch. I wonder if I can mute my microphone while we watch that. Thank you. 
stock footage from producers online um you know and i bought a halfway decent camera myself uh so yeah just just taking it to the next level telling a story a lot of agricultural images embedded in that one um because essentially uh what we have there is a gospel track um and it's interesting i've had some thoughts i've had some thoughts in this space you see uh i think threaded into the narrative of the gospel unintentionally is an agricultural presupposition you see when uh now lots of jesus parables speak about um sowing and reaping and weeds represents perhaps like the good crop and weeds represent uh, the failed crop um and uh you know this pops up uh, the agricultural uh, metaphors in his parables are just an example of of what was relevant to his culture at the time. Um, and then when he asked his disciples to remember him, uh, which two elements um, of a meal does he use, uh, if, uh, if I can delve, Molly? What are we told to remember him by at the Last Supper? What was that, man? You're freezing up. Which two elements? Which two elements does Christ require us to remember him by at the Last Supper? What does he What does he offer and, and say that we must consume? We're talking wheat and oil. Try again. Uh, what are we talking about? I'm We're talking about a communion. Really bad connection here. Oh, are we? We're talking about the elements of communion. I had body, drink blood, eat body. Well, that's what it represents, but what, is, what, is, what are the actual elements there is what I'm picking at. Bread and wine. Yeah, bread and wine. So, bread and wine derived from grapes and grain, and grapes and grain grown on agricultural estates. Uh, now, when Christ asks his disciples to do this in remembrance of me, he asks them uh, to perpetuate a chain of agricultural um, uh, imperatives. I don't want to use the word sub- subjugation, but anyway, a particular mode of culture which requires agriculture to occur in a certain way. And when the people and ideas associated with Christianity spread around the world, one thing they take with them is this presupposition that these things just must be so. One must have bread, one must have wine. It's necessary to celebrate 
and commemorate Christ. Therefore, one must have wheat farms and one must have vineyards. And um, any amount of time that you spend in uh, reflection on the words of Christ um, ought lead one to realize that when he speaks at a surface level, what occurs on the surface level is irrelevant. And it's actually embedded deep within the meaning of the words of Christ that his true meaning lies, which is, which is why he's oft quoted in the Gospels as saying, if you've got ears, listen, or he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But he literally looks at it, he eyeballs the crowd and he says, if you've got ears, listen. So when he says, take the bread, it's take the wine, those, those are sacred elements embedded within a, a cultural custom of the, um, uh, of the Sabbath. No, that's not right. Um, of the Passover, the Pashak, the Passover meal. Uh, you, you know, and you, you go back into Exodus and read about uh, the escape from Egypt and all of, you know, that's some of the most exciting Bible stories there. But the first Passover is like a pretty full-on event, man. Like, you know, a death angel comes and wipes out a horrendous amount of people overnight. You know, it's some kind of incredible pandemic that occurred or epidemic that occurred in the land of Egypt at that time. And the survivors were those who participated in this meal. And so the elements had been locked in place for a very, very long time when Jesus picked those elements up off the table from what was already customarily set. So when he's saying, do this in remembrance of me, uh, what I suggest is that we don't just take a surface read on what he's saying. Or, well, actually, this ranges across people within the Christian uh, world. So where do you sit on that, Molly? When you're asked bread and wine, would you accept a substitute? Have you accepted substitutes to bread and wine um, when you've uh, been partaking in a communion with fellow Christians? Yes. So the significance of the uh, ceremony itself... Um, for you, is it embedded in the actual elements being present, presented much like Christ presented them or, the, or as an idea or an alternative? Is there another way that you'd look at it? Well, you see, see I, I see it more as a, a metaphor. Mm -hmm. can, that's why it doesn't matter if it's, you know, it's just symbology. It doesn't matter whether Symbolism. it's a cracker that... Yeah, a cheap cracker that they they bought from, yeah, Woolworths, or whether or not it's actual bread. Yeah, um, you'll find places where the substitution. And what about is. what about the difference mm -hmm. between what about the substitution of you know, red cordial or grape juice for wine? Yeah, and that's yeah. that's one that people rarely uh, often accept. That's, and in well, that and in that, that case, if you yeah. well, the logical you know, explanation for that is you know you've got the younger audience in there and they can't be partaking of wine. That's a shift in the social standard that obviously happened as well. There's also a consideration for people uh, who struggle with alcohol addiction and uh, coming into Sunday. Uh, service and having a slug of the old uh, grape juice um, that's alcoholized isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, so at times uh, we find ourselves having to think outside of the box. Um, the other reason why I raise that as a point is 
once you balloon out across the aeons, uh, the spread of uh, Christian ideas, uh, and I, I should underscore the point that when Jesus finished his very short ministry on earth, he left his followers with just one charge. He said, go out and tell them all the good news. Like, the, the work is done, is, is the point. So when Christians start turning up in far-flung places and changing things and, and, you know, doing a whole lot of work to make things look a bit like the part of the world they came from, they're not doing Christ's work there, man, because the work's already done. They were supposed to turn up and say, good news, it's all fixed. Your relationship with God is complete. You know, all you need to have is this this knowledge of, of this intermediary who is, hey, God's own son himself. It's actually God. And then maybe a little bit of a breakdown of what the Trinity is. Bang. And then what do you all do for a living? And then engage and work out. But that's not what occurred. And um, I'm, I don't want to be reductionist in this, but embedded in concepts even as fundamental as uh, the elements of communion or the Eucharist, the bread and the wine, there is something of an agricultural presupposition or um, imperialism. So when Europeans arrive in Australia, for example, um, I'm not suggesting that the reason they plant wheat and, and, and grow grapes is so they can make their own communion elements, but it's just embedded in what they do. They can't imagine coming here and not reproducing the technology and culture that they've been aware of and so they must bring it to the landscape but it's even buried into the worshipful center of that culture admittedly um australian society at an institutional level has moved away from uh, a christian center um and um i'm not going to moralize that in, in any way that just happens to be a reflection on the public discourse that's occurred uh, certainly in the past 120 years and we're not dealing with a very long time since uh, since Australia started as a federation. You realise that it's it's 2022, so in 1901 we become federated. So 121 years later, we're talking about our our particular nation as a collective. That's really a lifetime. It's only a lifetime. Australia is only a lifetime old. It's an old grandfather. It's a great grandfather, but this federation um, is very new and sits over the top of. Uh, cultures which has been long-standing in here who don't yet have um, a voice. So I'm a little cautious in putting this video together about the the uh, using all the shots of the wheat based on the fact that I feel like as Christians we got to get ready to go to Mars. And um, I know in your worldview that's not even possible. Um, but let's pretend we're going to go to another world or let's pretend in a flat earth world we're going beyond the ice wall to uh, a land that we previously couldn't access. The simple fact of the matter is, wherever we're going and exploring as humans, in whatever your cosmic um, worldview capability is, what are we going to take with us? Because say we go up and set a colony up on Mars, I think it would be kind of bullshit to expect to take cows with us there, um, you know, and, and, and much of the way that we do things, which is to say, as Christians, we shouldn't be shipping bread and wine across the galaxy or whatever, you know, it's only the nearest planet. But, you know, we, the point is, you, you don't need to set up these kind of supply chains. You could just adapt change and synthesize new ideas to respond to the circumstances. Um, none of that really makes its way into the video. I'm just saying, don't read into the wheat too much. I'm not overly sold on wheat. But if I had to choose between being yeah, well, wheat and wheat... Yeah, well, not many people are overly sold on wheat at the moment, are they? This being gluten-free. Have you, yeah, you bought now, into this gluten-free? Don't eat meat. Don't eat. I'm not bought. I'm not bought in on it. But man, I'm well aware. I have uh, 
uh, family members and friends who've got um, high gluten intolerance and um, uh, you know I, I see I, I see their reaction if, if it gets into their diet so um, and, and just the interesting thing is that what came to me from a, a family member who looks into this is that apparently whether this is is this truth or myth let's let's ask uh, apparently there's no such thing as gluten intolerance in Italy or maybe even Spain, where they don't have gen- genetically modified crops because apparently the gluten intolerance that uh, has come up is related to GMO modified... Like, G- it's GMO crops. Am I saying that right, GMO? Genetically modified crops. Basically, the wheat that we're eating ain't... It's not really even real. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been adapted. It's not natural wheat. It's been adapted to do what it does this particular way. And part of that is that some human bodies apparently are rejecting it. What's that telling you? Yeah. Oh. And I and I would I would suggest that that un, underlying that is that um, everyone eating the same food on the planet isn't sustainable. We need a diversity of of popular foods. We can't all eat wheat. We're getting back to the cricket burgers that we discussed earlier. We can't all eat beef. We can't all drink wine. Um, we've got to have alternatives. Yeah. But some of the proposed alternatives that I've heard of, and whether or not they're true or not, I hope they're not true. But um, some sound pretty outrageous. Yeah. Have you well, heard of the? Have you heard of um, the? There's a company that apparently, you know, again, I really don't know what to believe. Um, but. It looked pretty, pretty convincing, but they want to grow human meat for consumption. And apparently there's a company you can order your favorite celebrities DNA to be grown into meat that you can then eat. Good God, that can't be real. I mean, I know that I know that protein is being grown in labs, but like, uh, uh, that that sounds like something that would appear in. It sounds and feels like something that's absolutely insane, and no one would go for it. But then mm, you remember a tabloid. That it's tab- in. in then, well, then you remember we're living in some form of clown world. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I did it, to me at this at surface level. In hearing that, I'm I'm making room to accommodate that into my schema. But the trouble is, um, it's competing with information I already have, which is what the, no one would do that. And then I'm wondering if there is something that suggests that. What source has this come from? And is someone just having like a a little bit of a a little bit of fun? Like someone just taking the piss? Is that a real thing? Because that doesn't. That sounds like. Someone's just fucking taking the piss, man. To be honest, that's not real, is it? It does. It, it feels wrong on so many levels. It feels like even if it is a thing, it shouldn't be a thing. So, but if mm. no, no, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a pin, a pin in that. Oh, I was going to suggest let's consider that just hypothetically. It is a thing. 
dang, and we just did an episode on zombies. Like, seriously, how how well does that tie in? Really? You think that, like, okay, so let's entertain that there were um, uh, market free market conditions sufficient to allow a person to produce protein from human DNA samples and then sell it for consumption by humans. Doesn't sound right, man. It's just like, uh, I'm it's saying it out that. loud and it sounds crazy. I understand this, but I'm going to say something else out loud and you tell me that it doesn't sound crazy, but it's real. Schools in America, apparently, are putting litter boxes in their school for the children that identify as cats. Um... Hmm, okay. Uh, again, uh, trying to accommodate that into my schema, my brain's just saying, no, that's not possible. But then uh, presuming that there is schools or a school where this is occurring, um, I immediately have concern discussing it because we're talking about the welfare of a child and um, I feel like weighing in with a comment at this point when um, best-case scenario, this is real and there's really children in that situation... Um, dang, I just feel like there's a special, um, cordoned off sacredness to childhood. And I, I don't know if I want to comment on that, man. I'd need to know more, like what schools specifically, when and how, and is, because it sounds to me like that would be a child who has high needs that are being met hopefully by a, a panel of professionals. Um, that's an oddity. Yeah. But I'm really cautious on, on, on um, being pulled to comment on that one, Mole, because of, the involvement of children. Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, Wurzel Gummage. Wurzel Gummage. All right, but my point is that there are so many things at this point that just prove. Okay, but on, on a surface level, we're living in. We're living in a twilight, an episode of the Twilight Zone. Have you seen Joe Biden, the apparent leader of everything? Leader of the free world. I think that's often a title given to US presidents. Um, To be honest, Trump was so much better at hogging the headlines um, that I haven't had an opportunity to really see much of Biden from from my corner of the world. He's not particularly relevant. Yes, buddy, what is it? Yeah. Can I have a turn on the PlayStation? Yes, you, you can have a turn on the PlayStation. Go ask your Rose to share. Let the little one play. Um, and close that front door, dudes. So, um, okay, I haven't had an opportunity to look at much footage from Biden, but I reviewed some that you sent me earlier today. It would appear uh, there are moments, at least in... it's It's possible to collect a range of clips of him uh, stumbling, mumbling, forgetting what he's supposed to say next, reaching into his mind to, to go off script and not finding anything to help him out there. Um, some people posit that potentially... Um, yeah, no, I'm careful to make a statement in that regard too. I mean, he is the leader of the free world. Some people claim he's too old and he's uh, basically a dottery old man. Um, that's one possibility. Uh, I don't know. 
I mean, at that age, you'd, you'd have a range of medications that you'd be taking that would certainly impact his performance. And I believe a president is required to be somewhat available 24-7. That's a big ask for anyone at any age. But, you know, once you're pushing 70 and 80, uh, that becomes a, a bigger requirement. Uh, but, look, embedded in... I feel like what you're saying in an overarching sense is that the world has changed... Uh, significantly since since we were children uh you know and both of us uh interestingly both of us just having been just past the cusp of 40 are in a situation where um we spent the first 20 years of our life pretty well guys you need to go away i'm trying to film a podcast you can't be sitting here in the background talking billy go inside please if you're going to sit there, sit there quietly, but have the front door closed because I'm trying to heat the house. It's not working. You're like an uninvited guest on the podcast. Sit there quietly. No, you can't use those. No, no, leave that. Leave, Dude, dude, fucking no. Put that shit back. Don't touch my shit. Those are there to hold up. Now put that other one back. Those are there to hold my mic stand up. Just go and sit in that chair quietly or go inside. Dang, I can't even remember what I'm talking about. Um, fuck, what are we talking uh, about? At least I'm not the only one, man. Just come and fucking dissembled all my shit. Um, we're talking about uh, presuppositions. Okay. Um, a little interruption there. Our, presupp- our, presupp- our presuppositions have shifted since we were children, is what I'm suggesting. Oh, yeah. So the, the pair of us were able to spend the first 20 years of our life in the last millennium, and then the next 20 years of our adult life in this millennium, and we're perfectly situated at this point to comment on how much the world has changed between the 1900s and the 2000s. It's been significant there have been significant shifts and one thing that's changed is that the signposts that we've used the presuppositions which were so firmly embedded in the world that we grew up in have been shifted changed questioned undermined relabeled and can no longer be suitably used right to the point where um the uh the hardware in an institution such as the toilets are now considered to be inadequate to meet the needs of the people for whom the institution has been constructed. Now, that's a bold admission by institutions to state that our our institutional structure is too rigid to meet the needs of participants because we filter through a schooling system. We filter everybody through that funnel. Everyone has to go to school. We have mandatory education in many countries. Um, And the simple fact of the matter is not everyone can go to school. So then we build different institutions for people who can't go to that school. They can go to this other it's a special school for them but everyone's going to school and those another problem is if that institution doesn't work there's another place where everybody gets to go and that's prison like in most uh yeah well i'm i'm struggling to think of a a country that wouldn't have this scenario repeated but if you fall into a specific residue they got a place for young people who don't want to go to school and want to run amok it's called juvie juvenile detention um we start locking them up from a young age should we? Well, well the simple we fact of the matter is... On, aren't we going to get someone onto the, the podcast who's 
had a significant amount of time in, in one of these, these institutions himself. The Seagull. We will invite. We will invite. Uh, we will invite guests on to speak into this issue. Yes, because um, such is the nature of incarceration in Australia that it's not hard for me to reach out to friends and neighbours to find people who've been put away can speak about their time. Uh, the simple fact of the matter is, you're supposed to be locked up in a school between the ages of five and seventeen, and if you're not locked up in that institution, you'll get locked up in another one. Um, now. An admission by such a rigid institution that something so hard and fast as their toilet block doesn't adequately meet the needs of all their students, that's... I can't look at that wholly as being a bad thing, Mole. I mean, it's it, it opens up potential to question a range of things. And, and in this space where we, can, where we can ask questions, I don't think we need to be afraid of the sort of questions that are coming up. We just need to create a dialogue. So I, I more automatically need to know more about this concept of uh, a litter box, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I want to see the medical um, opinion around that straight up. I'm going to doctors and psychiatrists for this one. I know psychiatrists are doctors, but you know. Yeah. Well, see, you know, from my perspective, there's not much difference between that and the concept that. Yeah, this idea that gender's fluid, your identity's fluid, and it's the it's the construct of your imagination, nothing more. Like, I'm I think a woman now. In that space, uh, a challenge is um, the concept of an overarching narrative. So. Um, and, and here we step back into epistemology again where we think, well, what is knowledge and what is true? Largely, if people um, base knowledge on what they can perceive with this empirical uh, concept of, well, if I can see it and I can see the evidence and I can make a valued decision about that, then it must be true and that becomes true. Then you become confronted with someone who has a completely different perspective on it and um, it only becomes a point of contest when either perspective is attempting to eradicate or replace the other. Um, so in cognitive this regard, in this, well, if, if we allow cognitive dissonance to be retained and, and held in perpetuum, um, in perpetuity, then we at least have dialogue. Uh, the trouble comes when one narrative tries to overwrite another one. So it, it's perfect. I would suggest perfectly valid from your worldview to express I don't understand the concept of gender fluidity because the signposts that you use to mark your way through the world um, have something very rigid around gender which assists you to identify as a man um, and probably on your list of credentials you're going to put your cock and balls um, so there's at least three on your paper for why you think you're a man. And that helps you out, right? And then, and then you've also hey, got some equal. Alejandro. Alejandro is Alejandro the big fella or one of the lads hanging downstairs? There's Pedro, big fella. Guillermo, left one, and Alejandro, the right one. I feel like Alejandro should have got the lead role ripped off, bro. All right, well, okay. Pedro is no, the big fella. No. In any case, you already have in this in these. No, well, you know, they, 
that's fair enough. They play separate. Um, you would have mapped into this worldview that you have in which you identify, you know, according to your own gender role, um, an alternate gender. And then based on what works within your own schema, um, that's the real world. And then someone else finds themselves having a lived experience where that's that's not the case. They, they, they might look down and see a cock and balls, but they just think, what, what the hell is this? And you know that they're serious because they cut them off. So they're serious as hell. Like this is real experience for people and, and it is fluid and you can't deny it because they go from having, like I already identified that you're a man and on your credentials is your cock and balls. This is, these are people who are willing to actually remove those credentials and be like, mm, don't need them. And you're like, this is a serious conversation right here because this guy initiated it by cutting his dick off. Like that's, and, and you know what? I'm going to bring this back to Christian theology. There is a character out of the early church who did just such a thing. Basically, the father of um, uh, hermeneutics, or the critical study of texts, is Origen of Alexandria, who lived in uh, the late 3rd to early 4th century, so we're talking like the sort of 283 to 300-something, from memory. I, I could have him wrong, but he's, he's early in that respect. Um, and uh, he was always a zealot, and ended up becoming the head of the catechetical school there in Alexandria. So he was well-studied and well-placed. But somewhere early in his career, um, he fell into some level of disrepute in the city of Alexandria. And um, he took quite literally Christ's injunction that if your right hand causes you offence, cut it off because it's better to go in, you know, in to, to the judgment hole than, uh, in, part, in part than to go Fuck into the flames man. hole. Yeah, so he literally cut his dick off i don't know what origin did with i don't we don't know what his offense was but he obviously fucked up because he cut his dick off and then spent the rest of his career as um as a eunuch and this became a problem for him later when he wanted to be ordained as a uh, an actual priest he uh, i believe he went and was appointed um as a bishop in uh, possibly uh caesarea um, and the uh, bishop from Alexandria was ropeable because he said, you can't be a priest if you're not intact. It's like it's written into the Levitical law that if you don't have a dick, you can't be a priest. Um, it's, that's why Peter was going to cut the dude's ear off um, in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to take Jesus. He was going to remove his eligibility for the priesthood because if you weren't whole or intact, you couldn't come before um, you know, the Yahwistic God in, in the um, Jewish faith. Uh, and this had been imported as a presupposition into the Christian context. So uh, even though Origen was a brilliant, could read Hebrew, excellent at Greek, was well across um, philosophy. In fact, he's credited as being uh, a middle Platonist, um, but he was a student of Plato and showed um, how Pl Plato's concepts um, uh, relate very well um, to Christianity. Uh, the guy was a genius, and he was actually an excellent um, leader in his church, but he ended up um, being disbarred by the protest of uh, the bloke who knew he didn't have a dick, um, and so it it came back it came back to be a problem uh, for Origin in the end. Um, so it wasn't I don't know if it was an advised well, course. Well, that's well, a man who's serious. But so so now in that space, when you want to sorry start start that again because I overtalked to you. You see it as. I'd find it a problem if I didn't have a dick. 
oh, I reckon Origin must have found it a problem too, man. But because he never had kids, he had uh, he had he had students. He, he taught, as I said, he was a master teacher of uh, probably the first Christian theological college, and um, some years after he uh, was gone. Uh, people misread some of his work and claimed that he was uh, supporting a version of the cosmos which became untenable and the Christian church rejected his works and um, basically said he was a heretic and they were going to burn them all. Uh, But there were some monks in a monastery who just couldn't bear the thought of Origen's works being destroyed who hid them in a cave. Um, and they came to us later. Later we discovered them. But essentially, this guy got written out of history. You're not supposed to know about Origin. The guy who cut his dick off got fucking kicked out. But guess what? The work survives, and you can read, and he is actually one of the most... Well, he was... Origin was cancelled, but this is a guy who cut his dick off, and they cancelled him. It wasn't wasn't on account of a dick. It was actually on account of... um, He had said something which made people believe that he subscribed to the pre-existence of souls so he uh, so then um this uh this idea about well yeah well well incarnation not reincarnation this this concept that arose around the concept of pre-existence of souls is that there's some soul bank somewhere and all the souls are there and they exist and then they're being deposited into bodies and uh the reason why this becomes problematic to actually suppose is that um when people emerge, you didn't ask to be born in the body that you're in, in the circumstances that you're in. And it's probably not hard for you to look at someone who was born in vastly better circumstances and people who were born in vastly inferior circumstances based on where they landed in the birth lottery of life. Now, if there is a bank of souls and they're being deposited into different bodies, then that means somebody's choosing who gets the good one and who gets the shit one. And there's no chance involved. Um, and, uh, and what that, imputes is in a in a christian structure um some people will get to hear the gospel and some people will not get to hear the gospel and if you think that you must hear the magic words about jesus before you die in order to be someone god cares about suddenly you have to account for why god created some people who didn't get to hear that and some people who did and suddenly this these souls being slotted into bodies becomes nefarious and you're thinking well then were they evil to begin with why did they get put somewhere where they won't get to participate in god's goodness in his covenantal relationship now cancel all that out because the simple fact of the matter is when jesus died he went to wherever people go when they die death and hell and everybody dies which is in my perspective everybody gets a chance to see jesus because he went where we he came here and joined us where we're all ending up we're all going to die people um, but the pre-existence of souls was a real challenge. Only one that Origen speculated on, because what he actually said was, God is eternal and therefore exists outside of time. And if God always exists, then he always knew you and me and everyone who would ever live. And, and in that knowledge that is in God and God being eternal, we always existed because we exist in God who knew us. Um, so it's not then a birth lottery. We don't exist as a bank of souls. We exist as a concept in God's knowing. And when he breathes us into being through his through speaking us into being, uh, whether that's when he spoke the universe into being and, and this is just the echoes or whether he actually mumbles something every time a soul is born. I don't know. I'd like to think that God whispers us all into being. Um, in my mind, the, the all-knowing, all-powerful God must speak every every living being into existence. Um, but Origin is actually a fantastic read, man. Like, I don't know. it's He's an incredible character. 
Um, and so in that sense, um, in, in today's day and age, I think really Christians ought to revisit someone like Origen around the concept of gender fluidity because he he moved past it. See, Jesus had Jesus had an answer for this when when people were starting to bring it all back to dicks, basically, which that uh, which. Um, any line of um, ideology at some point comes back to sex. Um, or I feel Freud would agree with me on this. But um, So they're having a chat with Jesus and it comes to dicks. They're like, all right, you believe in the resurrection? He's like, yeah, the re- I am the resurrection and the life. You know, like, guys, that's what I'm coming back from the dead is what I'm all about. And so one of them's like, there's a guy and he had a wife, but he died and didn't have any sons. And in Jewish law, the younger brother had to take the wife and impregnate her raised seed in his brother's name. Well, this example they raised was there was seven brothers and they all had this fatal accident. I don't know what kind of, I don't know what she was feeding them. Maybe she was a terrible cook, but all seven brothers die and each of them had met their obligation to marry this one woman. So they say, in the resurrection, when you come, like, who, whose wife is she going to be? And Jesus looks at him and says, there's not going to be, there's not going to be dicks in the new world. He said, you're going to, there's not going to be males and females. You're going to be like the angels. He said there's not going to be marriage or being given in marriage. Um, okay, he doesn't specifically say there's not going to be dicks because I'm going to be there. So, you know, like maybe there is. But the fact of the matter is you ain't going to need to use them. So this and then Paul in, in his epistle to the Galatians tells us in uh, chapter three, verse 26, there is no more male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. He doesn't quite say it in that order. He, he might say there's no more bond nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. He basically said, these things don't exist. So when we talk about gender fluidity and you say, oh, I don't believe in this gender fluidity business, embedded in Christian understanding is not gender fluidity. It's, it's, it's gender invalidity. It doesn't matter. It's, just, it's not a concept. So once you realize that Jesus doesn't care if you're a man or a woman or a boy or a girl or something in between, um, it really doesn't matter because my experience is I'm a man and I'm looking for a woman. But I, but someone else over here is a man looking for a man, and someone else over here is a cat looking for a litter box. It doesn't really affect me what other people are doing in, in their interaction. You know what I'm saying? Like, this... The Jesus, thing sets, the Jesus thing sets you free from presuppositions, including gender, race, um, uh a societal class. They don't exist anymore. Those boundaries aren't real, people. No. But everything's empty. Well, but they can. But they're but they're real. They're real signposts that we use to navigate our way through the cosmos. The point is, we don't need to be uh, fixated upon them. And you know, it helps me in this space being colorblind. But. I'll use the colorblind example at another time because I don't think we need... That's, that's actually a pretty solid one. We'll, we'll flesh that out. There are alternate ways to view the same uh, stimulus, essentially, and they don't cancel each other out. Different perspectives um, uh, don't invalidate each other, uh, and I guess that's, that's the point that I'm trying to make there. You say the world's changed a lot since we were younger. Um, I think we've accommodated extra perspectives into our schema, um, we don't have to agree with them. We just need to acknowledge that, that, that they uh, exist and they're valid human experiences for the people who subscribe to them. And then let's find a bathroom that doesn't have a kitty litter box in it for me because I didn't realize that was going to be a request. So um, I've been asked what my pronouns are, but my toilet preference is 
litter box outside. I'll have the flushing toilet, thanks. With the seat. In fact, I'm right into me toilet. Yeah, I do it. Can, you, can, I, can I throw eh? out a, um, a, a plug? Can I throw out a yeah, plug? Yeah, you should. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to plug this this um, this this new thing I, I saw on um, TikTok. Oh it, yeah, tell me about it's, this. Uh, yeah, it's this thing where this this dude, funny cunt, um, goes around doing toilet reviews. The toilet review, yes, uh, it's true. I, as a hobby, have started an important work, which is the toilet review. It involves essentially entering uh, new builds, residential building sites, and uh, examining how easy it is to find the toilet, the qualities thereof, uh, and, you know, just discussing the sitzem leben of the toilet. Yeah, on the toilet review. And uh, it's strangely enough, oh, we've released three of these. I've got five that I've filmed that are yet to be released in the series. Every time I release one, more viewers, man. We went from 100 to 250. Last one's 350. I'm hoping I'm going to crack 500 on this next yeah, it, It's enjoyable. I can see how, like, I can see how it's gaining a following. I might even... Everyone no, wants to know about I, toilet. Well, I, I, I feel that I should actually... You'll do a toilet review on my toilet. I haven't done toilet reviews on serv toilets in service apart from portaloos um because that's a whole other thing i don't know i kind of feel like that would even be a bit strange um all Maybe right i'm little, actually gonna but it's, I'm gonna still, try it's and, still something i think you should consider i'm gonna try and find one for you uh close that here it is we might have to all wrap right. it up soon hold on I'm just going to share a thing here. Alright folks, let's actually see G'day, for ourselves folks, and the Welcome to another review. toilet review. Here we are in a rural setting. Uh, you can see the uh, hills behind me there. One acre block and let's see what kind of shitter they have to offer. Okay, we're getting in early on the builds, clearly. Alrighty, it's a preview folks. We're going to come back and check this one later. Here she is folks, the toilet. Generous space, but it's only got that sort of 900 width. Oh, what a view, people. To the mountains beyond. <laughs> Even lacking hardware, the view alone from this toilet window is sufficient to put it well in the same category as a luxurious bathroom, even though it's only a tiny room. Nice roof height. That is above standard roof height in here. Tall shitter. In the ensuite, they have resolved the issue. Toilet has its own little secret room. If you've got the space in your floor plan, people, this solution is perfect. This is the gold standard. You've got the view, you've got the bed, you've got a nice mirror, and then you come around here, private business behind that door, and then swing around the back here, there's like this luxurious little shower thing. Let's not forget in a toilet paper shortage, the shower is potentially your best friend. This one's got a walkthrough shower that comes around to the front. Master bedroom over there. Folks, I've found the bones of a 10 out of 10 toilet. We're gonna have to come back and do 
the review because the preview pretty fucking awesome it's gonna be good it's gonna be so i'm gonna make friends with whoever lives here <laughs> There you have it, folks. That was the inaugural toilet review. Uh, there's many more in the series. Uh, I've had some feedback. That one was a little long, uh, and uh, we need to keep focused on the toilet, I've been told. But, yeah, this is this is important work. It is. It's very important. It ties in quite well to our conversation Sorry. today. As you can see, I can speak as an authority on the toilet because I'm actually an amateur toilet reviewer. Indeed. Yeah. It's not your expert today. So we have been discussing uh, agricultural imperialism, uh, Christianity, uh, the true meaning of what good news is in the context of a God who reveals himself in humankind. And uh, yeah, the guy who cut his dick off, Origin of Alexandria, um, you know, look that up. I'm not making that up. And he is my favorite theologian out of all of them. He just makes the most sense, um, except for that one time, obviously. When he got a little bit, uh, he got a little bit literal. But the interesting thing about Origin is, ever after that, he wasn't looking for the surface meaning of Scripture. He had learned a valuable lesson about reading it on the surface, and so he is actually most renowned for reading the deep um, metaphoric or uh, spiritual context of a passage of Scripture. And he weaves his thought process out as far from that as he can on the depths of human un and divine inspired understanding. Uh, but it always comes back to scripture, so which is why he never would have insisted that there was a pre-existence of souls, um, but he did exist. It, he did insist that God is eternal, and uh, as even as Christ is the eternally begotten Son of God, we eternally exist within His within His thinking. In that, the prophet Jeremiah was told that if, when you were in the womb, I knew you. I, I, I knew you before you were born. He. So if God knew one human before he was born, he knows all of us, and the all-existing, all-knowing God is the place in which we always existed and to which we shall, uh, hopefully, return. Anyway, that's my perspective. Indeed. Um, not shouting down people's Indeed. world views. We're, we're going to wrap this up, man. It's been good Thanks fun. for listening on the, sh on the sesh. Sunday on the sesh with Fat Mole and the Gnome. Fat Mole.